to the power of perspective. In this episode, we delve into the world of fire spinning, performance art, and community with full circle phenomenon. Join us as we explore their captivating travels, breathtaking shows, and the profound impact of the flow arts. Get ready for an inspiring conversation that will ignite your creativity and take you on an extraordinary journey. Let's dive in. Jesse and Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi, yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks Richie, we appreciate it being here. How are you folks doing today? We're doing great, ever better. Yep, I like to say better all the time. So you guys have recently arrived in Cape Town. You joined the Animus Float Fest. Yeah, Animus was a hit. We were really grateful to have co-facilitated that. Yeah, and it was really a trip to, to travel here for it and be your international guest for that. It was a huge honor for us. Yeah, well, thanks for coming down to the festival. And so, yeah, let's get into Google Circle Phenomenal. What was your journey to starting this company and how both of you sort of got on board? So it, it, it started with me actually around the procession of the equinox at the end of 2012. I had a spiritual awakening, one would call it, uh, more specifically an ego death, uh, kind of a grand awakening, which led me to practicing yoga. So yoga was the start of Full Circle Phenomenal. I started practicing yoga in order to kind of ground myself back into the insights that I had received and realized how much yoga helped me. My anxiety went away, depression gone, overstressing just completely obliterated. So I knew I wanted to devote my life to the practice, not only learning it, but teaching it as well and giving it to others. So I started teaching yoga in 2013 and Full Circle Phenomenal was officially born a year later. And then right in my backyard, after quite a bit of traveling abroad and seeing fire spinning in floors elsewhere, and always kind of fantasizing about how a person was able to do that. I remember the first time I ever saw it was in Mexico and being like, wow, they, those people must, must have had to go to some special school or get special training in order to do that. Come a decade after my first time ever seeing it or so, right in my backyard, I was at a party and people said, hey, do you, wanna, do you guys want a fire spin? And everyone's like, yeah, let's do it. And I said, are you guys gonna do what I think you're gonna do? And sure enough, they started pulling out from the woodwork all of their professional grade props and fuel and proceeded to go around the bonfire with some acoustic music and doing all these fancy tricks. And I was completely just blown away by that and said, where do I sign up? And so I started practicing with them. I started practicing online. And then when I realized that there was no official professional scene in our area, Southern Oregon, I started to teach it and perform it and added it to Full Circle Phenomenal's repertoire because I realized that flow arts really went well hand in hand with yoga. They're very much focusing practices. They get you more flexible, more fit, and, and all around more dexterous. So I trained hard and, and since there was no professional scene, we started to take off and we started working in a few small things and festivals and outside bars and I just kept taking it to a higher and higher level. And those initial stages, were they sort of quite challenging? In some ways, yes. There's definitely, and something I'm teaching right now to you and the other group of the GoPro with your flow, we're doing that class series together. And there's a big challenge between transitioning to do something for fun to doing something as a career or for money. And there's people very much on one side or the other side of it. One side of people are just doing it for fun. Maybe they'd like to do it for money. Maybe they really wouldn't. And so when you're moving past that great divide, there's definitely a lot of challenges. Everything from having to say goodbye to some people to learning about how to cultivate the courage to ask for money or make sure that you get some form of exchange that helps you to keep growing 
growing and helps mm-hmm. you to keep living so you can slowly start letting go of your your day job or working for someone else or simply the humility of offering something like a, a class or a workshop and showing up but then having no students show up. oh yeah that happened many and, times and then having to push through that feeling of i'm not popular to keep keep showing up for yourself keep showing up for your business until you get that student or handful of students exactly come. yeah it must quite challenge your sort of self-esteem right like, oh, yeah. totally you only have like or you have no students or only have one student and then you start questioning like is this even worth me continuing to there's a part of you that even doesn't want the students to show up oh you have to get over oh, wow. that you, <laughs> because you don't want to face the the challenge that it takes to start teaching people and mm. possibly making mistakes you know yeah. or being ridiculed or things it's like that it's a humbling process It's necessary to go through if you're actually going to live your dream. And so to create success, you created, like I know you guys have sort of this idea of sort of work play, which is quite interesting. And you've made it sort of work for you as sort of a business and, you know, this path in life. I think a lot of people, they they try to keep work separate from quote unquote life. And I would say as long as you're not working at your dream so much and in vibrations that don't feel so right, then you'll never get burnt out. And if you can blend your dream with what you're doing as a profession, we call it work play, and balance your own internal energy at the same time, then it never drains you of your spirit. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're doing energy generating practices like yoga on the floor, if you're really truly passionate about them, just as a practice in them itself, as I say, anything that you want to succeed in life in general requires persistence and consistency. So you have to keep going with it. And so if you absolutely love doing something and you want to keep doing it, then you have to apply yourself in multiple different ways around that area to see that people will support you enough so that you can keep growing at it. I think that's the first level of doing this professionally. But now Catherine and I are taking it to the nth degree of proving that you can tour the whole world doing it. Because there's, you know, there's professional musicians and performers of all types that do world tours. I haven't heard of any fire spinning performers that ever do world tours. So mm-hmm. we're seeking to to be the first. And that ambition in and of itself really helps you to push through the challenges, thinking about the reward of the success and just of the journey doing it. We have such a a heartfelt passion and compassion for this stuff. That's what has really helped us through and achieve the level of success that we're currently at. That's so exciting, right? Generally, people are so appreciative when they see a show or they see online tools to help them and they try it out. And for me, there was that kind of spark the first time I tried it. Mm-hmm. And that just push the tenacity because there's quite a lot of work, right? My favorite thing about this gig is honestly more than anything seeing our students first time mm-hmm. fire spinning because it's it always blows people away and I remember how it blew me away. And it took me four months to get ready to fire spin where now we're able to refine that down into about three or four weeks. Every single student that we've worked with has gone from some level, usually from complete scratch, not able to spin anything and realizing how hard it actually is to within just a few weeks a handful of practices actually getting to twirl fire in even more fanciful ways than i was able to when i first first started burning almost all of our students can do about 10 tricks or more by the time they've started they're ready to go and they're just completely blown away by themselves and it's so satisfying to know that we enabled that Mm -hmm. in someone else and that we've got someone else hooked because this, you know, this helps our business to grow, to show people that you are capable of doing things like this. It's not actually that dangerous. And man, is it ever tantalizing, mesmerizing to yourself. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it's for you, ultimately. When you're able to do it for yourself, enthusiastically, and then present that to an audience, that's what the audience fundamentally really loves. 
flow arts themselves, how would you define it? You said it is a growing field. I've given this a lot of thought because this is actually a fairly common question. What is another less commonly known name for flow arts is dexterity play. That was kind of the other phrase that was coined around the time when flow arts really started to take off and start to get into the mainstream. And that is what it truly is being playful and dexterous. What we're doing when we're practicing flow arts is we're becoming more dexterous in our bodies as well as our minds mm -hmm. as we play with an object or as we call it a prop. And learning how to move it intelligently and fancifully around the body in basically an infinite amount of patterns, starting usually with planes, like a, creating a cube around yourself, and eventually making it three-dimensional, curving the planes into an all assortment of shapes, including stalling lines, uh, making circles, triangles, flowers, sacred geometry, and even hybrids of all of those things, putting them together. What sort of tools are performed with? There are so many, and it seems like this list is ever-growing as the Florets community continues to grow. Like, people are uh, making clothing that burns on fire now. Yeah, uh, anything I mean. you can put Kevlar wicks on. I would say the most popular props these days, the probably the two most popular are poi, which is balls on tethers, and hula hoop. Staff would be right in there amongst the most popular two. Fans are becoming a thing. Rope dart, basically a long tethered with a with a head on it. Levitation wand, or known as levy wands. Mm -hmm. Fire breathing. Fire breathing. That, that, we, we it's have, kind of starting to branch off into yeah, a different area, though. That's using just your mouth as the prop. And, but, right, and but, the stick, the torch. Or um, juggling clubs. Fire eating. Juggle. Oh yeah, juggling is obviously huge. Has been huge. Fire juggling, I think. And a lot palm of torches, regular palm torches, mm -hmm. and dance. Catherine does belly doing. dancing and puts fire into her hands. Mm -hmm. We have a fire jump rope. Yeah, a fire whip. The whip is really exciting, <laughs> but I had one for a while. I never practiced with it a lot, and it's like having a live snake on fire around you. Oh, and a fire sword. That's fire one of my favorite really props. Cool. Yeah, we have a fire sword. And so, what generally the draw in that crowd would uh, form? around a flow art sort of experience. To watching it. Yeah, you because know, it's a lot of energy. I think that anytime, even if you're just driving down the road and you see a fire happening along, it, your eyes naturally get pulled into it. Fire just, it's an energy generator. But you know, fire and lights in general have kind of brought humanity together for countless generations. Mm. You know, we but we tend to like gather around the fire, you oh, know, yeah. in like a communal sort of setting. So we're actually used to that down to our core, down to the our ancestors. But when the fire is being twirled around you and there's people around that, it's kind of just a big step up and people are drawn in very much like moths to a light. Not too close though, hopefully. <laughs> but it's it's just like that. It becomes naturally very communal. And then lots of times what goes hand in hand with the flow arts and fire spinning are drummers. So when you get some, some percussion instruments in there, you have some performers, there's audiences come from far and wide. We actually, for a year and a half, a free show in downtown Grants Pass where we're from that we called First Friday Fire. That we just open up to the public and for an hour, we essentially all jam together. Sometimes we would have a musician or sometimes we would have drummers or sometimes we would just play off of the speaker, but it would just bring in every single time dozens, hundreds, and even one time a thousand people yeah. uh, to, to witness the spectacle. So I don't know exactly what it is, but it's clearly there. The perfection, the danger, and 
the uniqueness and the community aspect all comes together, right? Yeah, exactly. But it's not actually as dangerous. That's the thing. I think some people are drawn in because they feel it's dangerous because they associate fire to danger. But anyone who's been doing fire spinning for a decent amount of time knows all the safety procedures and knows how to keep it as safe as possible. Like we've never had anything go wrong yeah, no. in, in a decade of practice and performing. Yeah. Never have anything go wrong. Sure, you get burned a little bit here and there. You play with fire, you're going to get burned. But it's never serious. You know, yeah. it's never like third degree burns. You're never going to the hospital. Yeah, maybe a little hair, or just a little brush up on the skin somewhere. But oh, yeah. it's nothing that like a, a week of healing and some salve won't take care of. The worst I ever did, as I said, I did set the top of my head on fire one time. Oh, it was I, only a little bit. I burned a, a little bald spot. It didn't make a bald <laughs> spot, unfortunately. It just cut my hair down almost yeah, to the scalp. <laughs> but that was really the worst of it. Yeah. yeah. What sort of personal sort of steps do you take to make sure that things don't go wrong? Oh, we actually have a printable handout for this called a fire safety checklist. So there are things that we go over three days before the show, one day before the show, and then 30 minutes before the show. Yeah, 30 minutes and to an hour before the show, we're going over this checklist. Oh, it's a fire show checklist, excuse me. It's not just a fire safety, but it includes everything fire safety related and everything professional fire show related. Everything down to like getting the reviews from the person who hired you and mm -hmm. um, soaking the towel with water so that just in case you yeah. put a prop out. The, the most important thing that we find that are the primary dangers are not actually the fire itself, but the fuel management. So you need to have an airtight container that's made out of metal, preferably. Uh, not plastic because it'll melt, not glass because it can break. As long as you have, it's called a double dip system. So we have an ammo can it would hold bullets in it. So it has to be airtight and it's yeah. made out of metal. We put that inside another uh, rolling paint dish. So in, so any fuel that drips off of our prop first drips into the, the ammo can where it should. But if any drips outside of that, it's still caught. That makes it so as long as you have the proper container for your fuel and it never spills, all of your stuff is in an airtight area and away from the fire area. You get that and that's going to avoid any of your situations as long as people are dipping their props and spinning off in the correct manner. Besides that, it's actually the audience that can be the most dangerous thing we find. Because if there's any drugs or alcohol around and there's poor or no security, people surprisingly enough don't actually have a lot of fear towards the fire and will, we have found have often even just will walk into the performance area. So it's not yeah. usually the fire performers, the fire and the performers you have to look out for as far as safety We're measures. Trained. It's the fuel and the audience. Mm -hmm. But once that, those are taken care of, as long as you have a fire blanket or a wet towel, a fire extinguisher nearby and a trained safety specialist, someone that is looking at the performers at all time, even if someone gets set on fire, which does happen from time to time, that person is put out within a matter of seconds and doesn't even have their clothes damaged. And as long as they're wearing fire safe clothes, natural fibers like cotton, hemp, leather, things of this nature, and not uh, synthetics like polyester, mm -hmm. plastics that melt, not even the clothes are damaged and therefore the skin isn't damaged either. If the hair is back and up, wetted down or covered, yeah. then even if they hit themselves in the head, 
they might just have a few singed hairs, but no big deal. Yeah, we, sure. We, we often have a fire extinguisher just to we've never even used peace one. Peace of mind yeah, in our audience. Never had to use a fire. But it's kind of a joke, you know. People will say like, "You have a fire extinguisher, right?" And we're like, hmm, "Yeah, we never need it, but we only have it just so that we can say, yes, we have a fire extinguisher." Yeah, well, it's like a placebo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's you know, it's better to have one and not need it. Of course, need it and not have it. Exactly. That being said, too, we also do warm ups, and not every fire performer does a warm up beforehand, but we practice our yoga and our qigong beforehand. So as you harmonize internally, you tend to have a smoother running show. You're that much more aware of things. And also we take it to a professional level. So we don't work with people that we haven't practiced with or haven't been able to affirm that they do the practice safely ahead of yeah. time. You know, we have worked <laughs> when going through that transition between doing it not professionally to professionally is you're starting to weed out those people who do it very unprofessionally mm -hmm. who put people in danger that that helps it so if as long as you're working with people that you know you can trust and have your back and know how things go the probability for error and, and actual danger are pretty much zero you've got this sort of yoga and sort of other sort of field background with your sort of below arts mm -hmm. and this maybe closes into the concept of flow itself like this kind of state of a draw um, that brings people in some people i've even heard chatting to like mental health yeah. mm -hmm. help them through that and you know maybe this has appealed to yourself and it's part of the reason you kind of converge these things like how would you sort of like describe this kind of flow state and how it draws people in and appeals the, the attraction to it yeah, yeah i would say that the the flow state is not necessarily something that has to be associated with flow arts because we can reach this state through through many things, and this this topic has been studied long before flow arts became a thing. It's just when when you're in the motions of doing something that you love, that you're passionate about, and you're so thick in it that you uh, you reach this state of no mind, where your conscious mind steps out of the way and the true spirit comes through and creates this rhythm or dance. Artists and painters experience this, singers experience this, dancers experience this, yeah. runners experience this with the runner's high. Exactly. It's, it's not something that's just pertaining to flow arts, but now that we are on the topic of that, when we reach the state of flow arts with our prop, you feel this sense of union with the object, like the hula hoops or the poi, and it just feels like that object is no longer this thing that's disconnected or separate from you it becomes mm. part of of your being part of your arms and part of the movement that's generated from your core itself and you you feel this union with with the movement and the dance i always teach my students it's not about worrying about remembering but learning about your muscle memory the mind is throughout the whole body and so it's not always up in your head and you have to remember and piece things together by thinking about them, at a certain point, it's just like riding a bike. You could say that riding a bicycle is, is a very natural state of flow for most people because you don't have to think about riding a bike. You did in the beginning. But imagine learning about how to do a bunch of tricks on a bicycle, very strenuous stuff. And this is when we compare it to a runner's high. And I've experienced that as a long distance runner. You're at a certain point, the flow state, if you're putting in a tremendous amount of energy into it, but then you find it becomes effortless all of a sudden. And you're even conscious of its effortlessness. Yeah. It gets you incredibly high to be able to witness yourself practically move without, with zero resistance, completely in flow. And so when people start to describe that or 
when they just witness someone else doing it. Because any florist who's in it for a little while has experienced the flow state at least a few times. Mm -hmm. And when someone witnesses it, it is very much like magic to them. Upon reviewing videos too, I still experience it from the viewer's perspective and be like, wow, this does look really magical. Mm -hmm. I would <laughs> consider it a form of self-hypnosis. Self-hypnosis, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. And the key principles of flow arts and bringing those into performances. This is something that you, you mentioned. Yeah, so I would say the key principles are fundamentally to keep flowing and don't bring attention to your mistakes. Only slightly maybe do you bring attention to your mistakes during practice to refine yourself, of course. But if you're presenting something or if you're going to, to do a trick, you're supposed to just keep flowing. I often tell my students that too, is just flow into the end of the trick as if you had made it. Because you're going to eventually trick your mind into feeling like you made it. Whereas if you keep bringing attention to your mistake, you're training your muscle memory to keep making that mistake. And this is true for everything, not just flow arts. But if you want to master any sort of thing, you need to not give so much energy to your error. But instead, flow past them, learn from your error, and just keep building off of it. I've had many shows where I've made a mistake, and because I flowed right through it, no one in the audience could tell. Even upon review of the videos, I can't even tell. But besides that, very big principle that you hear from any professional is if you're going to do fire, you need to be 100% confident of your fire safety procedures and 100% confident that what you're, what you're about to do. So there, there's not really any room for skipping steps in this area and showing off trying to show off or trying to think that you're better than you are. I would say I, I have another key principle that mm -hmm. came to me just now, and it has to do with balancing the right and left hemispheres of the brain. Oh, because yeah. when you practice flow arts, for the most part, we're going to be working with our right and left side of the body, which simultaneously exercises the right and left side of the brain, making our being more dexterous, evolving ourselves a lot more mm -hmm. um, physically, mentally, and emotionally. So I think that a principle of the flow arts is to practice mastering things on, on both sides. Like, for example, you could even consider writing your name with a pen on a piece of paper at flow art if you're practicing it with both your right and your left hand. It's just continuing to evolve ourselves and our abilities to do things. And so you've taken this sort of interest and field and you've used this to travel the world. That must be very exciting. What has that been like? You know, what, what's, uh, what, <laughs> <laughs> it's a quite a big question, but like, what have you found memorable and really eye-opening about it? Yeah, so we just, I decided that I was going to travel and Jesse decided that he was going to travel. And we had the discoveries of what we were going to do while traveling, kind of as their own separate things, but they also go hand in hand with each other. Mm -hmm. So we both Well, to, to talk about this journey in particular, I, I had traveled to 22 other countries, but they were your typical travel where I saved some money, I went and traveled, I spent the money, I came home. I worked, saved money, traveled, mm -hmm. spent money, came home. Yeah. And so I did that um, over a dozen times. And eventually I got to the point, I was like, I have to learn how to do this so I could do it indefinitely if I wanted to. So I knew I had to yeah. develop a career on the road. So when Full Circle Phenomenal was born and then the dream of going around the whole world also followed a couple years after Full Circle Phenomenal was born, I knew I had to put the two together. Okay. And it ended up being a lot easier than we expected it. Yes, there has been huge challenges. And we can talk about that, um, but eventually it's, it's led into just success story after success story after That's success true. story. I'll share with you, I, I have a small list of, of some of our highlights and we can go into any of those 
now or another time. No, this is a great opportunity to just share some related of your... to flow arts, right? Yeah, all yeah. of them related the, to the flow good arts. times, the inspiring times. Yeah, because we've had amazing hikes, we've had amazing yoga sessions, we've had a lot of amazing everything. But I would definitely say some of our flow artist gigs, yeah, fire spinning gigs, have been the those the, have been the, the highest, the pinnacle. Any so, um, particularly favorite gigs? That yeah. Oh yeah, we so have a list. Let me go. Brilliant. Let me go in actual um, concession of chronological order because we started in January. January of 2020, so we've been traveling for a little over three years, and South Africa is our 15th country and third continent. So we have a big one was we performed in downtown Mexico City for a photography and videography festival called Night Tones, and we're really literally in downtown on the Monumento de la Revolución, mm-hmm. and we're surrounded by hundreds, maybe close to a thousand photographers and videographers. Right, everyone there was there because they were professional photographers or videographers and drone pilots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we got some really amazing footage. Everyone had their cameras out. Oh man, yeah, we, we really loaded up. Yeah. Uh, also, we did our first four-person fire spinning choreography. We trained students from scratch. Uh, down in San Cristobal de las Casas, Chiapas, Mexico, while we waited for the Guatemala border to reopen Mm -hmm. because that's when the pandemic had started. We had to wait in southern Mexico for a few months. Mm -hmm. That was really rewarding. That was something that you wanted to do for a long time Mm and we finally got to do it. Oh yeah, I've got some other four-person choreography set up. I just need some more advanced flow artists because that's where we're headed. Mm -hmm. Teaching and performing in uh, the Eagle's Nest and Lake Atitlan in Guatemala or some of the greatest flow artists I know have been there and taught and performed. We got to do a couple of festivals with them, and that once, was huge. Beautiful, beautiful place. That was once the border to Guatemala reopened. We drove down to Lake Atitlan and discovered just this magical community and mm-hmm. festivals and did performing there. Catherine and I also we recorded a flow arts tutorials for um, a YouTube channel, and one of the coolest ones was on top of an active volcano in Nicaragua. That must be very exciting. <laughs> that was really amazing. Explosions behind us as he's teaching. No, no, not Acatenango, but that is another good one too. I'm talking about Volcan Concepcion in Nicaragua. Okay, yeah. yeah. See, there was another so two, active volcano. Yeah, in there was an, there's an active volcano behind us in in one of our other ones. We're yeah. not technically on the active volcano. Oh, I'm talking but that about was the also one. really cool. That should have. Been on the, it is on the okay, list. Okay, <laughs> it is on the list. I knew I was going to forget some too. Yeah. This is just a, 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 a list, but there's more that I'm forgetting. Uh-huh. Another one was we performed 16 fire spinning shows in a month on Bocas del Toro, Panama, an island in Panama. Mm-hmm. One after the other. Just rapid fire. And I was six months pregnant at this Catherine time. Catherine was, was six months pregnant with our daughter. and uh, But that generated the money that we needed to ship our truck from Panama to Colombia because no roads go through. Yeah. There's like a 60 mile, 100 kilometer stretch, no roads go mm-hmm. through. So we had to ship our truck and it was 2000 US. And we're like, how are we going to do this? And we just got yeah. gig after gig after gig. Well, we gig. just so happened to be there during the Panamanian Independence Day. Which is right around Halloween. Right around Halloween, too. And the thing about Panama is they celebrate Independence Day throughout <laughs> an entire week. They have like three different Independence Days. <laughs> yeah. with that. So it's just a whole week of parties. Parties, yeah. yeah. So that was a huge high. Mm-hmm. Um, we did fire shows that looked over the equator where our daughter Prana was born in Quito, Ecuador. That was, that was a huge mm-hmm. treat. Uh, we recorded a fire dancing music video on ancient Incan ruins in Pisac, Peru. Um, a fire spinning photo shoot overlooking the city of Santiago, Chile, the capital of Chile. Uh, Catherine recorded her, fire, her recent fire hoop choreography in Patagonia and Tierra del Fuego. 
which is the southern tip of South America, and she's in like this really cute, sexy outfit, but it's freezing cold and snowing <laughs> outside and, and waterfalls and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I had to hike up there all bundled up, but then, you know, early in the morning, it's freezing. I had to strip down and it's, it was cold. Mm-hmm. It was snowing in some of them, mm-hmm. like waterfall snow. And then more recently, we uh, we did a, um, a fire performance on a high-rise apartment building in Rio de Janeiro for this year's New Year's Eve. That was nice. Yeah. And then honestly, Animus was was a huge highlight. It was definitely amongst the top 10 right here in Cape Town, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just performing for a festival with other professional fire spinners. You know, it hadn't happened for us in a couple of years. So well, was, Jesse, you've been to Pack Fire, but I had never been around so many fire spinners before. Yeah, it was Catherine's Animus. first fire spinning festival. So that was definitely amongst the huge highlights. Yeah. Anything I'm forgetting that's that's huge yeah i think that our first music video production in mexico right after the night tones festival we were invited to do oh yeah music video recording that was related this is before we got pregnant so we we stayed up all night nine o'clock at night till three o'clock in the morning we did a shoot in an abandoned warehouse and we used up like two gallons of fire spinning fuel. We used all of our props all over the place. We had drones flying around us. And Yeah, and by the way, to whoever's <laughs> listening to this, you can see these. They're all recorded on our YouTube channel. Oh, totally. If you head over to Full Circle Phenomenal, you can watch if any of these have, you know, Yeah, we have, a, we have a playlist of dozens of different videos. And we're doing our best to just ever level them up. Mm-hmm. And this side you've mentioned this idea of uh, music videos, which has become quite popularized in flow arts and fire performances. Mm-hmm. And um, why do you think this has become such a exciting and prominent thing that's come around now? You know, I, I've actually done quite a bit of thinking about that recently, because we're talking about the, the principles of flow arts and about flow arts as, as something that's growing in popularity, why it hasn't quite yet. And I, I find that Flow arts is like learning a musical instrument, but different than a musical instrument that makes the sound, that makes the music, the flow arts represents the music. Mm. So when you start dancing to music, it puts an expression on it, much like uh, if you had poetry and made a painting that you are inspired to make after reading poetry or something like that. It kind of, they go hand in hand together. Flow arts are dancing with music moving a prop together. I, I've had a number of people too that said, you know, at the at the music show, they said, I like the fire spinners more than I like the music. <laughs> and I think that that's because we get to bring the music out into expression, mm-hmm. into something that a person can see rather than just hear. Yeah, it's quite a visual experience, right? There's flow, sort of dance, almost arts. There's the, the outfits become quite elaborate and the props. They can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they yeah, can. well, like we were saying, if you can put Kevlar on it, it's a prop. So people have headdresses, they have skirts. Catherine, yeah. before this meeting, we had another meeting about what we're going to do in Namibia. And she and she asked Catherine if she's ever worn a fire skirt before. I might be wearing a fire skirt in the next show that I do. <laughs> yeah. I've never done and that. And a crown before. as yeah. well, a fire yeah. crown. Yeah. So a fire skirt, is that just, is Kevlar too light and it's on your way? <laughs> what does that look like? I, I, what it's going to be is the fire will be more down by my ankles and I'm going to turn in a circle as fast as I can. Yeah, if you've ever will... seen the whirling dervishes like in the Middle East and like Egypt, they have like a long 
dress that if they develop enough momentum, it spins out into a circle. And so what I've seen the skirts, we haven't seen the, this particular skirt, so we're not sure, but usually the fire's out on the end of it. So as soon as you start twirling, it kind of looks like a hula hoop similarly, but it's just spinning around your waist. Mm -hmm. uh, and there must be some sort of safety procedure that when you relax and it comes down, it doesn't come right onto your legs. Yeah, there's gotta be something. But we, we haven't actually worked with Probably just yet, have so. to spin it until it's until out. it's out. I mean, probably. I guess. I hope I don't have a problem getting dizzy. <laughs> yeah, just don't stop. And that, yeah. that is kind of a lesson I, I do with our students is you need to be able to keep flowing your prop for four or five minutes nonstop. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to. I mean, granted, you can always put it down and put it out. Yeah, you could. But if you want to do it right, spin it and keep spinning it and learn yeah. how to keep entertaining yourself and don't let that fire be at rest underneath your skin mm -hmm. or, or nearby because, right. yeah, that's... It, it, it won't burn you when it's in motion, but the second it stops and is near you for longer than a couple seconds, it'll burn you. Yeah, and it takes quite a level of focus and endurance, right? Yeah, definitely. Mentioning um, outfits, any favorites of all time? Yeah, honestly, <laughs> we've, we've kind of felt a little funny about our outfits because we have outfits for our shows and we have some favorites, but honestly, we're, we've been feeling more like a, a good level up is, is due. We aspire to wear something that's both practical and fantastical for our shows that we would even wear like outside because we live a lifestyle that we like to call permafest it's like being at a festival but permanently like your life <laughs> is constantly going around Sounds wonderful. being fantastic yeah exactly and why not yeah. you know why not do it like and that? I've done so many shows in just regular black shorts and a simple black t-shirt yeah or in this hoodie that I'm wearing right now this was designed for fire spinning and, and yeah. these beads that I put onto the, the hoodie will glint the fire yeah. off of them and people always compliment it people compliment this hoodie more than they do any of my other outfits surprisingly yeah, it's like so. you want to be practical you need to be practical with the the outfits for fire because you don't want things to get caught on your mm -hmm. on your um, props and you don't want things to be too synthetic and just yeah, burn right can't be too milk. flowy let your yeah. props be flowy let your your costume be more uh, yeah close to you. Close I think that I've dressed more plain more frequently than dressing lavish for fire shows. Yeah. Just we like a simple black shorts and a black shirt. We're mostly focused on the skill yeah. and nailing choreographies and things like that than we are on what we look like. Traveling on that line of like keeping everything running and not at all falling apart. Uh -huh. um, you know, what was that experience like? Oh, travel challenges. Yeah. I think that the first really big challenge that we faced was getting pregnant and not not necessarily wanting it to happen in the beginning. Yeah. We thought that having a baby and traveling were two things that weren't supposed to be mixed and it was going to make it harder and mm -hmm. more expensive. And we really felt like it was just going to tear everything down. All of our dreams were just going to you know, go down the toilet if we're going to take on having a kid at the same time. Right. Um, but it actually turned out in the long run, in retrospect, that all of those things that we thought were wrong, they were just assumptions because our daughter has actually brought uh, more ease and just abundance abund yeah abundance more more connection like i think that we're more approachable as as parents with a little baby Without so we get approached by other families with kids and gifted things without provocation and like here's a place to stay or come and our kids can have little and, play dates and, and the greatest challenges often heed the greatest rewards so yeah. when we decided to have our daughter we got pregnant and Nicaragua, right at the base of that volcano that I was saying that we did, that we did the, <laughs> yeah. the, the live volcano called Volcan Concepcion. What happened once we realized we were pregnant and we're going to keep it is we really got the fire under our asses, so That's to speak, true. and we really applied ourselves from sunup to sundown to grow this career yeah. and not just do it as kids, but do it as adults and professionals in, in a very legitimate sense. So in that sense, it 
pushing it hard for an entire year, for nine months, really helped us in the long yeah, run. It did. As far as other kind of minor challenges, but stuff that other people might relate to. In the flow arts industry. Yeah. You know, stopping doing flow jams a lot. What's really popular yeah. in flow arts is just getting together with friends and just going to a park and, and flowing together. And, it's, and it is great. And it's a great way to start and to learn from people and make connections. But typically in flow jams, there are a lot of people who don't do it professionally. And so if you really want to take it to a high professional level, um, especially if you're going to travel, you kind of stop doing flow jams. Right, like if you want to get paid to do flow arts... You, you, do, you, you switch to, from a jam to a practice. Yeah, you have to start treating your flow arts like it's it's worth more than just going to the park and hanging out and yeah. you know, maybe like... Or the focus is on multiple things, not just flow arts. It's on friends and hanging out and lots mm -hmm. of times smoking and drinking can be involved yeah. too. And, that, and that's that been challenging be saying no to that because we've had friends and we've also felt like, but I want to go to the flow gym. I want to practice and I want to have my peers around me. So it's, it was a challenge to, you know, push through that pattern and be like, you know what? No, mm -hmm. it'll be more productive for us to just practice on our own. Yeah, set up a choreography or something or network yeah. or train on specific and it's things personal. that we need to get get done yeah because nothing personal to the people either like i'm not saying that flow jams are bad or the people who are at the flow jams are not doing it right either that's not what we're saying at all it's, it's just there there becomes a line that we have to draw when we're taking our flow arts to a career level we've had to say goodbye to a lot of relationships not just in the flow arts scene but in life in general in order to live this sort of lifestyle yeah. um, but to us it doesn't feel like a sacrifice it's more like we we have to let go and make space for things that are going to serve our dream lifestyle. That, that being said too, even in the professional scene, we've had to have the challenge of having to stop mid-show because the, the audience got too rowdy and the security was off and we're starting to endanger people and because the security can't, won't help us, we've had to basically cut it off completely and just stop. I've even showed up to gigs since that and practiced and have a keen eye enough to be able to spot and be like, okay, we can't actually work here. Find the person who hired us and gave us the money and put it right back into his or her hand and leave. Yeah. Which is pretty unheard of, but sometimes you gotta do that. And so, on the monetary thing, like that's one of the big challenges, you know, like mm. myself, it's quite intimidating to be like, I love the idea of, you know, travel the world, get paid for something you enjoy a lot, but you know, like you get a lot of the, the naysayers and how, how do you make this economically viable to keep it going? Okay, that is a great question. And it's, so we have to diversify. We have to find multiple ways of doing the same thing. And before we left, we, we started actually working for a flow arts company, creating tutorials for them. So our first consistency of getting finances was actually just a little bit uh, to be paid to create videos for a YouTube channel. And that carried on. It, it, it got us a tank of gas here and there. And you just have to start somewhere. So I think people have an idea of how much you're supposed to be making and how much, but really it's just, just hold at first to the, making sure that you create leverage on yourself, that you're getting something and getting something consistently. Not just respect, not just drinks, not just tips, uh, not just exposure, but something and keep growing that something because what it'll do is you'll start to create a, a pattern, a new pattern that you'll get used to. And then you'll recognize your value. You will start to look around the industry and see what other people are getting paid, what the asking price is, and you'll just keep leveling up your standard and find eventually a place that's comfortable for you, that you can keep confidently asking people, this is what it costs, 
You can always be a little flexible, of course, like Catherine and I have worked for goods and services as well as finances kind of split in between if we if they have something that we can use. Uh, but we always work for that something and we hold to that standard and, and don't go down from it. We don't take a step back. As they say, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Yeah, you're offering something of value to them and in response, you know, you take something yeah. in order and, to be successful. And so, but with that, we diversify. So we created online content. We got paid for that. We do obviously the fire spinning shows. We get paid for that. And we do uh, lessons online and in person. And we get paid for that as well. Um, Catherine was even making some props for a while. Uh, she could she crochets, so she created what's called cuddle poi, which is a good beginner style poi <laughs> that you can hit yourself with, and it doesn't really hurt, but it's got enough weight on it that it's you know it's a good prop to practice with before mm -hmm. you do fire. And she was able to sell that pretty easily. Yeah, sold a few of those. Yeah, but we didn't really get fully into the prop making, but some people do, and there's definitely a demand wherever we go around the world. People do often ask us. Hey, do you have any props? Can I buy those? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, sorry, these are definitely not yeah. so common around Central and South America, so we have to. You know, you guys are in business together and a couple, and you've taken, you know, it's quite a serious point in sort of relationship. Nice to hear how you guys came together. What's that little story, right? There yeah. Oh, that, of, that was uh, a great. That was a great I'll story. Let Catherine. Take this one. <laughs> okay. So I met Jesse. I was going through some health challenges. And I had I had come to this realization that I needed to stop going and seeking like doctors and medications and things of that sort because it wasn't helping me. And I knew that I needed to go inside myself consciously to find the source of what was causing my health concerns. And I had heard that you could do that through the practice of yoga by you know, exploring internally, mind, yoga, body, and spirit. Yoga being a type of meditation. You are focused, very mm -hmm. focused internally. I knew that it was a health practice. I knew that I needed to take time daily and go inside and breathe and feel into my body and feel into my whole system. And so I, I moved, I took a, a huge leap of faith and I, I quit all of my jobs and I moved to a different area. And I had a partner at the time who had a job, so I was able to kind of lean on him for a little bit and the balance really shifted there and it was perfect. That relationship was starting to fall apart though and it was all, you know, my whole life was transitioning. I was looking for a yoga teacher in the new area and Jesse's business came up and as soon as we connected and started talking and I started looking at his, his channels, his profiles, and I'm seeing all of these other things that he does that relate to my own interests for example, he was doing vaulting, which is like yoga acrobats on horses. And I had a horse at the time. So I, I'm meeting this person who's doing yoga on horses and I'm looking for a yoga teacher and I'm like, no way, this is crazy. Like how long have you been doing this for? So cool. And then the fire dancing on top of that. And I'm seeing these events on Facebook that he's hosting that have, they're attracting thousands of people. I honestly thought that Jesse was famous in this part of the world. Like, who is this guy? And when we finally met in person and he told me the story of him 
attempting to go around the world and not giving up and that he's he's going to do it. He had a motorcycle. He was going to go a third time on a motorcycle. Yeah. And I had stars in my eyes. I'm like, I have wanted to travel since I was a little girl and I know that I'm going to live in a different country and I, I love everything that you do. What can I do that can benefit your business and your lifestyle? Mm-hmm. So I was I was starting to and do I some blogging. All the and... help I could get because it was really a challenge for me mm-hmm. to do what I was doing in the area I was doing. It wasn't super popular. Yeah, and you know, so I, I offered to help him with marketing, even though I didn't know very much about marketing. I was starting to to write blogs and learn how to create videos, media, and I had gotten hired by some music festivals to to do this and you know free tickets into a, a conscious community just to write about it was a really awesome opportunity that I had back to back and you know when when I offered these things to Jesse it was met with an enthusiasm and yes let's work together so we we started our relationship with this high vibe of let's let's work play and grow this dream together and I fell in love with him pretty quick he fell in love with me I could tell from the beginning that there was a, a love connection there. I'm really sensitive to the energies of attraction, practicing Qigong and just really listening to your mind and emotions. So mm-hmm. eventually pick it up. But I was surprised when we first connected that she was already with a partner and she yeah. was very enthusiastic and very loving towards him too. Catherine is a very loving person. And so I actually wanted just to invest in both of them. You know, I was able to switch that. But when I could tell that there was something much bigger going on behind the scenes of things and that we were being drawn together, like it or not. So just kind of go with the flow of it and trust in it. Because at a certain point, you, you get forced into taking leaps of faith in love and life. And so I just went with it. And um, is is beyond falling in love with another person. I was practicing being in love with the world and being in love with everything. And so, yeah. whoever comes along who wants that lover will invest in it consistently. It's like, all right, it's game. Let's do it. You want to invest in these projects and this lifestyle? I need that partnership. We, we to in order to make it happen. Because I tried it twice on my own, and it was too hard to do it by motorcycle mm-hmm. solo. I made it all the way down to Mexico, and so when I came back and told Catherine about it, and she showed the consistency of wanting to learn the yoga and get everything, healthy everything. and then wanting to do the floor arts and have her first fire spin on New Year's 2018 into 2019 into 2019 was yeah. your first fire spin right but you facilitated that that was that yeah. was really cool for me and and then we started building choreographies together and we started doing everything together Teaching we did yoga together we're doing boy. the fire spinning together we're growing the travel life together so it's it's really just Everything that we're passionate about, we both do. Except for the belly dancing. You don't do that. <laughs> no, do the belly dancing. It's not too late to try. But I would do the palm torches, you know, like tutting or something like that. Sure. With, with fire. Yeah. I sold the motorcycle and she sold her horse. Yeah. And we used that money to buy the 1983 Toyota camper that we are, have driven here. It's uh, served you very well. Very, us. very well. Yeah, it's, we call it the fourth member of our, of our crew. Because we had to ship him over the ocean and it cost twice as much as he's worth. To, to ship, them to ship over. Them over the ocean. Yeah. But it's too reliable. It's too, I mean, the, the Toyotas of that generation, that, that year, are just notorious for lasting forever. So it was worth it still for us. And it's, it's something about taking the same vehicle around the whole world. Such a beautiful story, right? It's just the connection, and it sounds like you guys really care for each other. And you've kind of built this, like, really awesome life. Really wish you the best for the future and all your journeys, right? And just a little side note that just to put the icing or the cherry on the cake, Catherine and I got married last year on top of Machu Picchu. In the sacred site, we hiked to the top with our baby and with all of our clothes. Our objective was to get married under the solar eclipse in Patagonia, but that was back in 
uh, December of 2020. And we missed that date because of the pandemic. Yeah, we got blocked at the borders. So instead, we, we waited it out and we're seeking the perfect opportunity. And we ended up getting married last August in mm-hmm. Machu Picchu. In Machu Picchu, yeah. which is actually where we thought we would have our baby. But yeah, it, but you know, Karma after, was born and she was a few months old when we got married. It would have been crazy. I don't mm. think that would have aligned. We would have had to really <laughs> do some planning to have the, the sacred site. It's, it's just so highly guarded that yeah we wanted to fire spin up there but we would have been kicked out in seconds <laughs> we might have gotten arrested if we fired maybe spin up. i don't know they probably would have taken us out with a helicopter <laughs> hashtag with it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i got a video <laughs> there are many places where we have hiked and taken our fire spinning stuff but then not been able to fire spin at the top yeah because it was more guarded than we expected more guarded <laughs> or more extreme like remember oh yeah the, oh yeah like on the top of fitzroy there's no no way. In Patagonia, we like hike to the blistering top cold ice being thrown at you. <laughs> you we're like, we're gonna record a music video up here. We hike up with fuel, all oh of my our God, heavy equipment. And the people that were passing, you know, this is a day hike if you're quick. An all day hike. An all, all day. day. Like, we leave when it's dark, you get back when it's dark. Yeah. And people do camp up there and people are saying, we have our baby too. Yeah. And they're they're like, you should just leave a backpack, like tuck it behind the tree. <laughs> yeah. Why are you carrying all that up? <laughs> I'm like, you know you what? don't understand. I'm going to have to trust in this. And- <laughs> Your travel, what was the most adventurous moment or daring? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> we were like, so things got too real. <laughs> this is, when things got too real, when I got pregnant, um, and the, the story of how I got pregnant is actually the, the biggest one, I would say. Besides border checks and almost getting our car impounded a couple times because of expired permit that we had, mm-hmm. um, definitely by far though, um, getting pregnant and deciding to keep yeah. it and the situation it's of just, how it happened. How, it's the situation of how it happened that makes it entertaining. It's not just, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, for anybody who's had a baby, I'm sure that you've had a crazy experience related to how you got pregnant. So what, um, what, what just happened? What, what well, okay. we got stranded on an active volcano and couldn't find so our that, way back. So that active volcano that we recorded the tutorials on, uh-huh. which you can still see, I remember I did the one-handed mm-hmm. butterfly tutorial up there and you did hoop doubles tutorial I did tutorial like a reverse there. 3B weave or something like that yeah. with the hoops. If you look on the Sacred Floor channel. Yeah. After we recorded those tutorials, we headed down. We didn't have enough daylight left. And because the pandemic had hit, the volcano that we hiked up hadn't been hiked very often or at all during that time. So the trail was completely overgrown and we lost the trail. Yeah, we lost our way back and we... It got dark quick too. And we couldn't find the trail, so we ended up having to sleep on the side of the active volcano. Without being prepared. With no equipment. We have we, a picture. We literally set up a bed made out of these giant prehistoric dinosaur leaves. <laughs> that would be quite a visual image, right? <laughs> that was a With them as a blanket, we surprisingly slept through the night. I, we got like five or six hours of sleep. Yeah, and then we had the jungle in our skin the next day. Though. Oh my gosh, yeah. And had to hike out there. High, high stress situation. When the sun came up, I felt a sense of relief. I'm like, okay, first light, we're going to find our way back, but we didn't. Yeah, then we we, we found the trail, but then it wasn't the correct trail because it just ran out into the jungle. It just ran out. We ended up tearing through 
vines and the whole jungle and... to get back down. and fortunately enough we were on an island so how lost can you really be yeah we're just like we're just gonna have to keep going downhill as long as we keep going downhill we're gonna reach the the highway that goes around the whole island so we're gonna make we had it just enough food and, and water to we had to like make a it. quarter of a carrot and... i remember that was the last <laughs> meal that was a carrot and you know we 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 just went through so much and i remember there was just this one moment where we felt like this is someone's backyard there's a clearing up ahead let's go and we 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 ran up and we see this clearing it's like bigger than this room and maybe even like two or three times bigger than this room and we step out into the clearing and we're like wait a second this isn't this isn't someone's backyard what is it yeah this is this isn't a pile of dirt that someone just put into their backyard it was a pile of dirt and our feet sunk into it and so we we looked down at our feet and there's ants crawling all over and so we just (laughs) had this giant run like our giant ant plane we had to run immediately both of us were just like run we ran across right straight through all of it and we didn't get bit by any of them no surprisingly not yeah i thought that by how intense that felt moment but anyway so long story short we made it through we made it down we got sa- we got picked up we got taken back right in the nick of time because there were people where we were staying were about to send call the police and send the search party because yeah. people have gotten lost and injured and even died up on that volcano yeah but the stress of it caused me to ovulate early mm-hmm. and we were keeping track of everything and very studious about it trying very hard not to get pregnant but through natural study of our cycles we can we don't need to actually have medication for birth control so that's what i was practicing but little did i know the stress of something like that could cause an ovulation to come soon and that's what happened and we got pregnant and that is how yeah, we got pregnant happened. conceived at the base of volcan concepcion which means Conception volcano on Ometepe Island. Uh, uh, um, in I know. Named. Exactly. Yeah. So there's there's synchronicities around. We found out we were pregnant in Costa Rica, the next country. Yeah. Decided to keep it, and then Catherine traveled five more countries with yeah baby Prana in the womb baby before Prana. she was born in lots in Ecuador. of fire shows too. And- yeah, she she even did a fire show four days before Prana was born. Mm-hmm. But we Prana also was did lots of up. hiking while I was pregnant. Yeah. Jeez, we did you re- so you really, much. Yeah, it was <laughs> super mild. See, normally like people are pregnant, they slow down. Yeah, I know. Down, but you went, you know. Yeah, that's pregnant. really it. People are like, how, how are you? Well, you don't look like you are pregnant even hardly at all. And you take a look at retain your physical physique yeah, perfectly. And and the, the key to that success is, you know, don't stop moving. Kind of like flow arts, keep yeah. flowing. And Catherine also does prenatal yoga too. So mm-hmm. And so, you know, on this journey you looked for and also met, you know, various communities and during mm-hmm. your, you know, travels and performances and, you know, what were what were these like? The people in the different places mm-hmm. and the actual just overall feel of, you know, the communities and um, fire groups that are around, right? Yeah, so there's there's so many different people around the world with so many different walks of life. So you really have to go into it with an open mind and an open heart, not thinking that your way is the best way or, or not being open to surprises, essentially. If you're gonna tour the world as a professional, you're gonna experience the world and need to behave professionally. With the different communities that we met, we were able to spot out the communities that were enable us to help our journey keep going in the communities that weren't. Mm -hmm. And that was just kind of the only fundamental thing that we had to look out for. And it's pretty obvious, you know, because as long as you start to develop the skill of being able to talk about what you do as a profession, 
and asking people if either they or someone they know would be interested in hiring us, we tend to find the right audiences or we're directed to the right areas. Mm -hmm. So the communities that we end up engaging with, one way or another still complement what we do. And that's what we had to do in order to mm -hmm. keep this going. There's not a lot of fire communities throughout yeah, Central and true. South America. Honestly, Cape Town has been the biggest fire community that we've met. The Since second, Guatemala, the I second guess. biggest, I don't know, I would say. Or Santiago? Santiago, Chile has a lot of, they call um, malabaristas, and also Argentina had a, a lot, but uh -huh. we didn't connect with the Argentina side because we didn't stay there for very long. What's very prevalent, though, I can say is street performing is much more popular. Yeah, yeah. People performing at traffic lights, not just like actual on the street performing street, like in oh, between wow. traffic lights for 40 seconds at a time or whatever uh -huh. much time they have. And do they use fire at these? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which we were really surprised to see. Yeah, they, they, they've got fire jugglers and fire spinners and balance axe. It's just, I have an interesting relationship, and I think you can say the same, with whenever we see this, because, mm. you know, where we're taking our flow arts and where we want to take flow arts with the world is not to the streets. We want to take it to the Cirque du Soleil level with fire. High like, level, yeah. Really be seen by the masses as a like a high degree of professional and skilled and yeah. and like wow these guys are really doing something that takes time and credibility and i just i have a hard time seeing that and projecting that upon you know some some guy with dreads who i don't know maybe looks like he kind of need another meal in a shower and he's got fire going around and like the skills are there but i just i have i have like an interesting relationship with this because i just i see the skills and i feel like if if just a few key things were implemented mm -hmm. for this individual or these individuals to level up it would not take them long yeah or much energy the to be seen as a professional something that's really big for Catherine and i is stop believing in who you are because of where you come from so yeah. central and south america are definitely uh lesser well off as it relates to uh, the economic conditions that ends up going deep within the psyche of the fire performers. And so a lot of them don't necessarily believe that they can make it professionally and end up working for nothing. Or they think even that if they professional. Have, or, yeah, or whatever, and, and they work for just so little, whereas Kath and I are still going around communities and not just engaging with white people, you know, who, who happen to be their expats and stuff. No, we're, we're engaging also with locals. Yeah, we've taught some locals. There are professionals, there, is people, there are people with money who will value the arts well enough, but you have to set your own standards. Yeah. And so what we notice a lot throughout the journey so far is people who don't set their standards high enough, who have the skills as it relates to the flow arts, those flow arts skills, but haven't developed the inner skill of knowing your yeah. worth. Like sometimes when I see it, it makes me smile because, you know, I, I see the skill and I see that this guy's having fun and I enjoy seeing more flow arts spreading around the world. Don't get me wrong. Like I really appreciate that I see the art of it, you know, in, in places that you wouldn't expect. While at the same time, I'm like, man, why is this guy on the street? You know, yeah. he, he, he deserves to be on a stage and being paid four times as much for... Some people like it though. Some people prefer that. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, if that's... Um, it is definitely okay. uh, liberating. You can just show up up on the street corner you don't necessarily need a permit or anything like that and you just do your thing it's tough to i mean i know what it's like to ask for tips and and not get very much and mm -hmm. I, I do see them walking around they just get so so little yeah and i'm just like if you just had figure out how to work a um, a basic camera and post it online to a few yeah. different places reach out to people and learn how to talk to people and ask yeah. you'd easily get paid 10 times as much and be able to support this as a living and really take care of yourself yeah.
And from a professional standpoint too, I think that it's important for flow artists to start taking it more professionally because there have been times where, you know, people see us doing our practice when we're like, you know, in, in a hostel or like in a more private setting and they're like, what are you doing? Oh, you're doing, I've seen some people on the streets doing what you're doing yeah. or at a circus and they group us into, uh, you know, people that just work off tips what, and what, that's what not what we do. Exactly. So then it kind of feels like either you're part of a circus or you're performing in the streets and Catherine and I were neither more neither of, yeah. of those two things and so the communities it's, it's been challenging we're kind of creating a community you know yeah this ties into your vision of influencing flow arts community mm -hmm. through your work we're exactly. looking to be the first flow artist fire spinners to tour the whole world and once that's done then people will know and and will feel encouraged to do it themselves because that's often how it happens is one person starts it and then everyone knows it's possible and then before you know it you've got a bunch of people doing it that's why we're teaching gopro with your flow mm -hmm. and that's why we're also kind of a side note we're also launching a course right now to for designing your dream job designing your dream traveling. job because it's a passion for us to be mobile and free and though it might not be your passion to be a flow artist i feel like everyone has this deeper sense of well i do want to see more of the world or i do want to have the capacity to move about space more and call it live, my work i want to live my dream <laughs> yeah i want to live my dream and i want to call it my own and that's something that jesse and i have done individually and together and, and create a science out of it yeah we've discovered that there's a science to it it's not just shooting in the dark or luck or and even learning how to cultivate courage you know embrace the unknown embrace your fears yeah. there's a science to going about that too you know a book smarts as well as the street smarts and so we're we're looking to refine ourselves well enough that we can actually take people from a place of lack of confidence and don't believe that's even possible to recognizing intellectually oh okay that makes sense to starting to take the steps to getting results mm -hmm. to feeling that full-fledged confidence that we feel now that fear of failure and just the idea that this is not something that people consider a viable career and you know if i'm in a nine-to-five job and i want to transition to this kind of thing my, my dream job it's hard to kind of convince yourself to take the step and for your support system to even back you yeah well it's it's hard to do the transition for sure the transition is kind of slow and steady and celebrating hopefully the small victories because that's what you got to do you have to plant the seed and keep planting the seed in your own mind of what it is that you value and then you start taking the steps and so if you have a nine to five job you have to start with the small seeds and just finding either 15 to 30 minutes wake up early in the morning or 15 to 30 minutes, stay up late at night and just take one more baby step and then get your first paid gig and then start getting a little bit consistent with that to the point where you can maybe let go of one of your part-time jobs or if you have a full-time job, get off work a little bit early and add a little bit more to it. For me, it took five years from working for someone else to working solely for myself doing this stuff and traveling with it. And so we've developed a system that hopefully will cut that five years into a fraction of the time. Yes. Uh, but it really is a matter of how much faith do you have in yourself? How much is this really driving your body to act to, you know, because because the brain will sabotage you, right? They even have a, you know, a name for it. There's the sabotager in your mind, the doubts uh, that gives you plenty of reasons to not do it, to quit, to give up. And you have to learn how to put that voice by the wayside or learn how to plant in more seeds that you want to hear than those things that you don't want to hear. You know, we had to overcome that too. And we still have to overcome it, right? But we we're just very many years into the practice and it's not so easy. It's, it's very much like a, a skill in and of itself that the more you practice it, the easier it gets. But if you can keep your mind on the prize, keep your eye on the prize, keep your mind focused on what your end results are, that's really all you have to do. 
And what is the process like of creating a performance and a fire spinning routine? So first, first of all, you have to, as I said before, get the, the safety skills down. You have to know how to set things up so that your props are organized in a way that you know where they are, your fuel is organized, you know that the audience is going to be organized and not enter in your performance space. Then you have to know what tricks that you know and what you're going to do for the show yourself. As far as setting up a choreography or things like that, Catherine and I are very practiced at that. You tend to find songs that really inspire you, that you can visualize in your head, you doing a routine to. And then you start practicing that routine and just putting the steps together. What you picture, what tricks do you picture in what sections of the area? And how do you transition those tricks into other tricks that match with the feeling of the song? If you're not able to choreograph to your music, you also have to consider what is going to be at the venue that I'm going to be perform at. Learn how to communicate with the people that you're going to be working for and get as much information as possible so that A, you can feel very prepared and B, with the practice that you do, you can go into it feeling confident, feeling enthusiastic because if you can match what the venue or the person who hires you is expecting along with mixing in your enthusiasm and connecting with the audience, you've just run a successful show if everything is organized. <laughs> Any tips for performers who want to develop their stage presence? First and foremost, posture. Your posture is everything. For a lot of people, myself included, you often have to train your posture back into it because as you're learning flow arts, you tend to hunker your shoulders down, keep your chin down and your eyes focused to the ground because you're, you're focusing, right? The first and foremost thing is you got to pull your shoulders back and lift your chest up, lift your chin up. So now you're facing the audience and you have to face that fear because you're no longer safe focusing on the ground. Uh oh, there's eyes on you and you're making eyes with those eyes. The second thing being eye contact. You have to learn how to connect with your audience. Also breathe while you're doing it. When you get overly focused on your show and the audience, a lot of people stop breathing and then a mistake is made and then the focus goes on to the mistake and then you breathe less. And before you know it, you've really made a lot of mistakes and screwed up a big part of your show. But if you can breathe and practice breathing before, during and after, you notice that if you're able to take slow breaths while you're doing stuff, you can generate a lot of energy, a lot of focus and attention and go through a show with zero errors. So as, that's maybe something that's more invisible that a lot of people don't realize because you're, you're breathing. The posture is a little bit more obvious, the eye contact's obvious, but the breathing, not so much. What is it like to teach someone? What, what approach would you go and how do you inspire them and motivate them? So a person who hires me to teach them already has an interest in it, has a fascination. It's very few and far between that a person comes to me kind of indifferent to the practice or thinking maybe I will, maybe I won't. Not totally unheard of, but the major majority of people that approach me, they're already in it to win it. That being said, some people have a greater sense of awareness over their bodies than others. Uh, and so what I mostly have to do is analyze a person's body language and teach them how to understand their body better than they already do in a way that I do. And it's a really confusing thing because everyone's body language is different. Everyone's body is different. So I've had to learn through teaching dozens of different people, a lot of different body languages and how people learn. That's something that you actually learn through learning flow arts is how the mind learns, how the body learns, how muscle memory is developed. And so through experiences and learning about how different ways of saying the same thing, because you're describing about how to move the prop. And even though that might sound straightforward, it is very far from it. What you'll notice ever if you're learning flow arts, your brain will get twisted in knots quite quickly. And so when you start to explain to someone while their brain is being twisted in knots, very little information gets through. Most of the information 
comes from you asking them to watch you stop what they're doing because they, yeah. they, they want to flow so stop what they're doing and watch just watch and visualize yourself doing what i'm doing don't actually do it just see yourself put your head on my shoulders and watch me do it and pretend like it's you doing it because yeah. we have mirror neurons that will reflect you know we hear the expression monkey see monkey do so when a person sees another person doing something uh, they, they're absorbing a little bit of that information to a lot of bit of that information depending upon how open they are and then before you know it something clicks for them and all of a sudden they're able to do it and it's a very strange paradoxical thing that happens quite often teaching flow arts is you practice 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 nothing works and then all of a sudden you stop thinking about it and boom it's there it happens more often than not so that's usually what I do is I explain it in as many ways as I can I demonstrate as many ways as I can I get my students to hold a nice straight upright posture so they're attentive, ask them to breathe and big huge breaths so that their mind isn't focusing too hard or being too critical, but instead focusing just on the moment. They're able to absorb enough information and then that moment of magic will just inevitably happen. And then once it, once it does happen for them, there's a new spark. So getting a person through their first obstacle where they don't feel like they're gonna be able to do it. And it happens to almost everybody who doesn't have like a very strong sense of awareness of their bodies. Uh, they really feel like they're not going to do it. But then something happens and then it clicks and then they surprise themselves and then they believe. It's like all of a sudden they believe in themselves, which helps carry forward to the next wall, which is basically the same wall, but conquered that much more quickly and then that much more quickly. Before you know it, uh, within a few lessons, they've got a momentum going and they're doing a couple of tricks confidently, which gives them confidence, especially with my reassurance that I've taught so many people. There's been some really challenging students in my life, so much now to the point where no one now is the most challenging student for me because I have the experience of how to train people. So encouraging them, you can do it too. I've seen people worse than you. You can do it as well. It's gonna keep clicking for you. you just gotta believe, breathe, and keep focusing on the visualization. Yes, half of it is definitely showing up for practice and practicing and doing your best. But the other half is just visualizing it happening. Let your mind, let your senses absorb the information and it'll be there. And so that's, that's how I go about doing it and it's been going really well and looking to refine it even more so I can train people to be professionals from zero experience all the way to professional in like a month. And I have done that for a handful of people, including kids too. Yeah, you can start at all ages. Oh yeah, yeah we've trained people as young as seven years old. For someone at home who's you know, wanting to train themselves to just practice what they learned, sort of what resources would they use and you know learn a then learn b then learn c you know like the weeds are generally known as in that sort of bracket there are definitely fundamentals of learning you got to learn your planes first you got to learn about the weight of the prop and how it naturally wants to move around your body you have to experiment with it without the expectation that you're going to do right and that you are going to hit yourself and not to get down about that or if you're juggling, expect yourself to drop them thousands of times. It's going to happen. Not to worry about the mistakes that you're making, but to be sure to go off of understanding how to learn the fundamentals. Every prop tends to have a certain set of fundamental procedures of the basic of the basics that you're going to need to master because almost everything or a lot of every uh, of the rest of the skill ends up branching off of that of those fundamentals of that foundation. You're going to build all of your like, so for poi, I always teach people about the planes, namely the wall plane, having like as if there were a wall in front of you and you're spinning the, the poi in a flat plane in front of you, and as well as the hull plane or the wheel plane, spinning it to the side, and learning about how to transition between those two, turning around in a circle 90 degrees at a time in both directions. 
uh, with different speeds. You know, there's same time where you're spinning each prop same way, and then there's split time where you're doing it in concession. You know, instead of it being one, two, three, four with them point together, you're going one and two and three and four or one, two, three, four. You know, you're going, it feels almost like faster, but they're really just split in half. So once you learn things like that, those basic of basics, and it's sometimes it's hard because it's a bit tedious. It's not that exciting. People want to learn tricks. But once the foundation is set with those things, all the other tricks start falling into place much more easily. For, for new people, that's what I recommend. And if you're having a far, hard time finding a teacher who teaches it right or in a way in which you understand, reach out to us. You know, we make ourselves available online as well as in person and have just as much success with meeting a person in, in person or meeting them online because we've taught it so many times. So don't just seek a teacher, seek the right teacher. Seek the right video, seek the right information of whatever type and then do what they, they tell you to do and, and practice it. You will find things that click at different times, but don't get carried away and, and just think, I want to fire spin, I want to do these tricks, I want to look amazing like that person because it takes a tremendous amount of time and a lot of mistakes. What would you say kind of the benefits of learning the, the flow arts? Physically, emotionally, and even socially, right? You know, like what can, what can you do to make it fun and beneficial? The benefits of flow arts is definitely of your body, your body gets healthier, your mind becomes more flexible, more expansive. You start to recognize how, I like to say everything is a flow art. So whether you're working a computer or driving a car, you know, learning a podcast, you know, creating a podcast and things like that. There are steps uh, that you'll be learning and, and, and studying those steps and eventually it'll become commonplace to you. You will be able to not necessarily get into a flow state right away, but you might get little hints of that flow state, feeling of success in, in what you're doing. And especially if you have a group of people with you doing it, learning together as co-students, you know, don't get discouraged by other people who, who are better than you or what you've seen online. That's something that happened to me and I know that it happens to a number of people, but if you can really practice not being overly self-critical, you will learn faster. You'll catch up to them at a certain point. What you gotta do is just love what you're doing. Love the practice itself and know that everybody goes through it. Very few people pick up the prop and are instantly great at it. And those people who do usually have a background in something else that got them to be able to be dexterous like that. As I said, everything's a flow art. So they used some other skill that they learned not knowing it was a flow art in their own way and then they just applied the same techniques to doing it with, a, with the object, with the poi, with the hula hoop or whatever. Never get down on yourself, be completely constructive and learn how to practice things once or twice rather than a dozen times. Because if you practice something a dozen times horribly, you're gonna be training your muscle memory to do it horribly. And then you have to break that habit. So if you can focus on something and just practice it once or twice and then take a quick 10 to 30 second break and then try again once or twice, that I find makes people grow a lot faster. The community can be socially quite quite nice, right? The best of friends, yeah, and the best of energies I've found at Flow Arts Festivals. That, like That's my type of festival. When I went to Pacific Fire Gathering, uh, which is now renamed Kindle, Kindle Northwest in Oregon, it's just a good handful, like a few hundred people meeting in the woods on the coast learning from each other, engaging, just the best of, of energies. That's really what sold me on the, the floor. It's besides fire spinning for the first time and just getting that thrill, meeting the people amongst the community is just really, really special. Um, people who do floor arts have a, a particular character or vibe about them. 
It's very inviting, very understanding, very friendly. And I think that's why a lot of people come into it is they, they pick up on that and then come into the social atmosphere of it and feel very much at home. And the way that I see it is that makes sense because what we're doing with Flores is we're very much emulating the micro and macro cosmos. So the atoms that make up our body are, you know, they're little centers, spinning little electrons, little objects around each other. And then the solar systems and the galaxies doing the same thing. So we're very much emulating that. And if you study your, your oneness with everything, you recognize you are that. You are the atoms, you are the galaxies. So you are the Floridist already. And so when you connect to the Floridist community, it's like coming home. It's like coming back to yourself. But maybe a self that you didn't realize or not was there because you were totally wrapped up in being a human being and what that whatever that means to you and being a constructive member of society and how you're supposed to behave when really you're just this little item flowing other items around it, generating energy, um, sometimes crashing into other <laughs> energies and making something new, something good, something bad, but nonetheless experimenting. And I think that flow artists, whether they realize this or not, and experience this, this little awakening. They might not be conscious of it even, but the experience of it gives them a sense of peace, a sense of happiness and love, and that becomes very inviting to, to anybody. So even if a person doesn't want to practice floor arts, they still might just want to hang out. On the, on the props, uh, any, any favorites um, and even the moves? I want to learn that because I know that's going to look cool. Or that yeah. prop looks like interesting. Like, sure. like what are the ones that stick out to you? Poi always stood out to me, and I think that's why they've become one of the most popular. I don't know exactly why, but the Poi have such a, an amazing way of engaging the senses. You've got an item in either hand, and it's mostly rope, right? So it's, a, it's called a dynamic prop. It's not a static prop where you're twirling a solid object, like a hula hoop or a staff. This is much more bendy. But that, once you start getting it, it becomes so fluid and there's so much capability of how you can bend these objects and wrap them around each other. So I like really like tangles lately where you're getting the poi to interact with one another. You're actually trying to get them tangled up and untangle them and that is the trick. Very fluidly and branching those off. In fact, the most popular trick for audiences is called the orbital where you literally wrap the tethers around each other and you pull it at a particular time and it gets this centrifugal force going and gets them to spin continuously without your needing to move them. And they're essentially stuck in between your hands spinning very rapidly. I love that and I love finding different ways of maneuvering that trick. And I have seen a couple of, of people do really unique things that you wouldn't think are possible. I know that if I'm practicing in a park, a lot of people, maybe they're interested, maybe they're not. A lot of people might not give you their attention, but some people it's like you can start to feel them watching you. You know, you might not even see it, but you, especially as a performer and as a Qigong practitioner, I can feel very clearly when there's eyes on me. I'll either find the person, make eyes at them, give them a little performance, or I won't. But either way, I'll just go right into the orbital because I know that's what's going to hook them. Yeah. As soon as they, because it's one thing, they, they see you maneuvering this, these objects around your body. And first of all, they're intrigued by it for one reason or another, but they're probably thinking like I was thinking, which is how the hell is this person doing this? They must be specially trained. But then you do something with the prop like the orbital and then their perception of science goes out the window because okay it makes sense that they're moving this object around them but then all of a sudden they've wrapped the tethers and the object's moving by itself yeah and it can almost go endlessly yeah if you've got nice um, swivels on the end of them yeah it can almost it can go for many many seconds for a long period of time and that draws a person in and then i know i've got them hooked and i can start to talk to them about this be like would you like to learn how to do this you know invite them in
you know, I think those things where people either can't visualize themselves being able to do it, or it looks like it can't be done in performance and in flow arts is mm -hmm. the ones that really draw in folks, right? Yeah. So now with Poi, I'm also interested in 3D Poi, which is learning how to bend planes while they're while they're in flow. You essentially switch from one plane to the other, or do diagonal planes, or and, and create a really amazing effect, as well as juggling, learning about how to let go of the prop itself. They say the ultimate flow art is juggling, or essentially doing a flow art without tethers attached. Because it's one thing if you're holding onto an object, right? Eventually you have some control, but when you start letting go of that object, and it's in the air, and you're having to maneuver it in such a way, and time it in such a way, and have that muscle memory just right, it's pretty cool to, to get that. So I'm, I'm actually just started to juggle poi, and I just today got five in a row. And you know, in Cape Town it's funny because we've got the wind, yeah. So when I juggle, I find like you throw it up and you expect uh, a path is yes. not the path. And the thing that helps you train is like, you know, training in environments that aren't your typical scientific conditioned chambers, right? Yeah. It's like, I find that too. Wind is the hardest condition for flow artists to work in. Like I work in the rain or the snow over working in the wind. Wind sometimes makes it impossible or really dangerous, especially a fire flowing in a different direction because you want to count on that fire to be more or less where it is, all of a sudden it's blowing in your face. Yeah, that's that becomes really tricky. Or if you're juggling, yeah, and all of a sudden you're used to a certain muscle memory, but you can't, uh, well, you can. You know, I'm not going to say you can't. You can definitely train yourself to know the wind. Uh, but that's definitely an ultimate flow artist for sure. You know, in modern times, we've got uh, technology and in a lot of fields, it's having an influence and in changing the field. Like, mm. What do you think technology's influence on the flow arts and the community is? That's a really interesting question. I, I find that it's only assisted the community. When people are designing the props now, they're putting a lot more attention into the ergonomic capability of it, making it greater for your health, easier to flow, more balanced, more light or heavy for that matter. And there's so many new objects to practice with and dynamics of how that object's arranged. Is it arranged with a, a wick to do fire? Is it arranged with LEDs in order to create spectacle LED shows? Is it arranged to contact with your body, contact swords or stabs or poi, and then you end up touching it to all around your body. It's no longer just in your hands, but you can roll around your arms and your neck and your chest or your legs. I, I find that the more people put energy and technology into it, the better it's getting. But that's me. I've always been a technology buff. You know, growing up uh, being an 80s kid and having our first, inter you know, like personal computer and the internet and stuff like that. And so I was always into that. And if I was able to look forward into the future as a kid and see all the technology that we have, flow arts or otherwise, be stoked out of my mind even more than I am as is. But you know, with accessibility to great video and cameras just on your phone, that barrier of entry sort of yeah. broken down. And now social media is a big one, right? What's kind of like the impact and how do you get that right? Because I mean, you guys you know, clearly have. That's a tricky one of itself. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I guess we clearly have because, you know, it's tough to make a viral video with floors, I find. Very, very tough. We only have a couple, and the only reason one of them went viral is because some other viral channel talked about it, and then they all went and just to see what it's about. I don't know how many students came from that, or people who decided to start practicing. They're just interested in it all of a sudden because someone who was popular told them to be interested in it. Yeah, it's really tough, and on that note, it is tough because you see someone doing something amazing, and a lot of people naturally compare themselves to. I'd say that's the one way that it could be a, a vice, the technology, because 
people have greater expectations. And so if they get overly stimulated with inspiring things and they compare themselves to them, it can be a real downer and, and make people not want to try. I remember feeling like that and I'm a very inspired and self-confident person. So I can only imagine if you don't have that self-confidence instilled in you, if you decide, oh, there's, there's no way I'm gonna make it to that. Yeah, well, that's the thing with the internet, right? That you will always find someone better than you. Yeah, and that's the truth. That is the truth. You know, as above, so below. There's always going to be a bigger fish. There's always going to be a smaller fish. The trick is, can you just be happy with where you're at and celebrate the small victory of just taking one little step higher? So, aspiring performers and um, people seeking this career, what um, advice would you give them? When you're building your own dream, or if you have a dream to fire spin, or do it professionally, if you start investing in others who are living that dream, at least with us, we know that what goes around comes around. So if we're helping someone else to create their dream of fire spinning, they too are also helping us to do it around the world. So the investment goes around full circle. And we build friendships over just like clientele, you know? It's not just like a pay us, do the thing, get out of here. That's not as heard of, at least with us and as far as I know, most circles in the floors, we're making friends here. So in, invest in one way or another into a person. Uh, you can watch videos and stuff online, that is good, but I recommend support them on Patreon or something. They probably have a Patreon or a way to donate to them. We, we put a ton of energy into YouTube, and though we do get a little bit financially, now from that, it's hardly nothing. You can count in one hand the amount of Floridists that probably make it good on, on YouTube um, without having people pay them regularly. So, so hiring people is a really good way to start because you're getting a professional who knows what they're looking for and can critique you in ways uh, that will really sharpen your learning curve as well as decrease your injury potential. Um, also, you should just believe that you can. Whether you hire someone or not, believe that you can do it. Because a lot of people, they pick up the props because they saw someone make it look easy and they realize how hard it is and they stop believing that they can do it. Whatever the mind focuses on is what's gonna become true. I like to say whether you say you can or you can't, you're right. If you want to travel like we are and do it, you, you have to know that it's not just what's out there, it's what you're bringing. A lot of people, they, they hear about something on the news or in some form of media, and then they associate that whole country or that whole city to that thing. And people are like, aren't you afraid of you know this happening there? And I say, no, because I know now through all this experience, it's not what's there as much as what's inside, what I'm bringing to it. Our, our inner vibration shifts spaces. So if you're going into it with a huge enthusiasm and happiness as well as a good head on your shoulders, you're gonna make it, you're gonna find a way to make it, you're gonna manifest. And so, you know, you've obviously, part of it is getting gigs, um, as they call them. So how would you get those? How I started was I just really put myself out there in as many ways as I knew. So I would mostly like create flyers and start posting them there. I'd start talking to people about what I was doing. And then I was going to do it as a profession. I was gonna do it for money or for exchange. And then I would hold to that and I start to get a, a feel for whether or not a person is interested. Because a lot of people I can get inspired by it and they say they wanna do it, but then they don't show up to practice. All I can say is you keep showing up. Uh, you keep showing up even if none of the students show up and then you treat it as a practice for yourself. Keep presenting to as many people as possible in as many ways as possible that you are doing it. Any odd requests? Catherine and I have definitely developed this skill of being able to be in, have some degree of control over what we do. I know that a lot of people get stuck in those circumstances 
and we've definitely been in some close calls. One was at just this crazy club um, where they're serving, you know, drugs and all sorts of stuff, and it's just this crazy mix of people who have no idea what the hell is going on and who knows what they're tripping on, and the security is off. So it's really just dangerous more than anything. That was the one where we had to leave early. We did two burns, and then eventually like, we gotta get out of here, this is bad. Ever since that, and that was fairly early on, we've always had a way of communicating. So we knew what we were getting into up front. So actually, sorry to say, but there wasn't too many surprises. Only good surprises, honestly, as far as having people appreciate us, beautiful locations. We get to kind of set things up and, and compliment whatever the person is doing rather than just have to kind of put on a you know mermaid suit or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that being uh, said, the, you know, the there's still a lot more of the world to go and who knows exactly yeah, what's it ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, it, oh, I'm sure it will. But now, you know, we, we have our, our kid and everything like that and we're very organized with what we do. So mostly what we do is we talk to the person that we're going to be working for or is interested in hiring us ahead of time. We understand about the venue and the show that they're looking to do and we just compliment that show and compliment the heck out of it because they love that and we get to go into it being really enthusiastic and complimentary to it and make it you know be the life of the party. And I highly recommend that for anyone who wants to do floor arts professional. Don't settle and don't let someone take advantage of you just because they're willing to pay you. Don't sell out to this gig. Like, you don't have to. You can um, definitely bend for people and be flexible and have an open mind, and that's definitely valuable, uh, but you never have to do something that um, is too crazy if, if you don't feel resonant towards it. So do you have a good uh, inspirational or transformational story from your journey? Uh, it's, it's really been all centered around lately having, having a child and starting a family. I really thought it was going to be more difficult. I thought that the dream was going to basically be squashed because now I have a kid to, to look after and, and value, but no, um, it just got me to practice harder and do this harder. So I really, the transformation was just, now I have to, to do this. This is a have to now, else the dream is over. We're going to go home, you know, and not be able to do this. And that just wasn't an option for us. Yeah. So we just really pushed it to the nth degree. I'm not kidding you, from sun up to sundown for nine months straight, going at it with every single thing that we possibly could do and making use of all of our resources. And there's still challenges, but that was definitely the most transformational at that moment when I knew that we were deciding to, to keep the baby and that we were going to become parents on this journey, driving around the world. I had to, to shift, everything transformed for me at that point. I was already a father by that point, right? It didn't, wasn't waiting for the, the labor and the birth to happen. Now I have to do this, all of this that I'm doing to the absolute best of my ability. And I have to be successful at it. And that's what made me successful. How do you keep it fun? The moment you take something professionally that was a, a hobby and interest, it can take the fun out of it. Yeah, and I've experienced that twice, actually. I had two businesses before Full Circle Phenomenal, and it went south like that. I love doing graphic design and web design and digital work, and I, once I turned it into a job, though, I started to hate it. Um, it was mostly the people that I'm working for, I think. You have to really pick your clients. That's a really challenging thing for the newbie getting into the professional scene is they just want a gig, a paying gig. And I highly recommend that. But if you can be enthusiastic and you recognize that the person is enthusiastic, it can be fun. It will be fun. It's not just you doing the work. It's also who you're doing the work for that creates it to be fun. And it is a practice, though, to ride the line between it being work and it being play. 
between something that you do for fun and something that you do for money. Uh, there is a line there though, and the more that you study it and explore it, that line tends to expand and then you have more wiggle room in it. So I would say that's how I was able to do it. I got into the idea that it was possible that I could enjoy my life and be productive and lucrative with it and find that line over and over and over so many times that that line expanded into a nice big wide spectrum that I'm currently in now. The only way I can really say it in a short amount of time is recognize challenges are coming, but those challenges only indicate that you're about to level up. If you can just keep your eye on the prize and not stress about the challenge, not define it as a curse or something that's hard, but something that's there to help you, help you to level up. Because if you can make work fun, that makes it play. And then you've got the play already there that's already play. So your work becomes play and your play stays play. I can say that's essentially how I'm able to keep it there. Keep the play as play. Love practicing floor arts. Love what you do as if you're just a spin jammer. You're just doing just, just for the fun of it, just for kicks. Uh, but then find a way to make the work fun. Celebrate the small victories and don't curse your big challenges. What are your future goals and uh, dreams? <laughs> well, it's quite a big one. Yeah, we, we break it apart into larger and smaller steps. So the larger step, the largest step right now is making around the whole world. So we've got Africa, Europe, and Asia. The, the smaller, bigger step is make it to Egypt, make it to the end of Afri Africa, to Cairo, where we'll host another yoga teacher training. We're still here for another month and a week. Um, until July and then we're going up to Namibia and we're already setting that up. So we're setting up stuff here and up in Namibia as we speak. After we have the idea set up, then we're creating the promotional material, the flyers, the videos. We're repping it on social media and we're practicing the routines and the skills while at the same time maintaining advertising for inviting more people in to learn from us from whatever classes in person, online, privately or publicly or in a group setting. So we're just constantly doing that. There's always those micro steps and that's what makes it simple. Those micro steps are relatively the same as the bigger steps. And it's the same thing as when we travel. When we're gonna leave Cape Town, we're focusing on just the next city. What are your favorite parts of the show? Audience participation. Catherine and I, something that we do in our shows that we don't see a lot of people do for obvious reasons, but it's really not that tricky or dangerous is have the audience come up and spin fire around them. So after a choreography is complete, and my favorite part is being able to present a choreography really, really well. Presenting to an audience is something that I had to put a lot of time and energy into. I get to perform to a favorite song and a favorite musician. And when I really nail it and my enthusiasm comes out, it's just so satisfying to me and the audience. But for the audience, quick thrill, very easy to do. Just come up, volunteer, let yourself stand there and have someone spin fire around you. And experience what it's like for that heat, that energy, that light, that sound and smell, all of your senses picking up on this stuff. When you do it for the first time yourself, even if it's just normal spinning fire, no tricks needed, just all the way around you, it's perfectly amazing. Besides that, if we're talking about to professionals, people always appreciate big fire, a lot of big fire, fast fire, fire that's done to a beat, a lot of people appreciate the choreographies, and then the tricks that they can't wrap their mind around. Because you have to sometimes go slow enough that people's eyes can follow you. If you notice the difference between a floor artist and not a floor artist is the ability for the eyes to be to maintain awareness of the object. So if you're able to slow the prop down so that you know that the audience can see those 
tethers wrapping around each other or they can see clearly you're not holding on to that uh, staff anymore it's just sliding around your body how are they doing that you know that's when it becomes really magic for the person and when they can tell wow this person treats it as an extension of themselves well thank you so much jesse and catherine from pool circle phenomenal and all the best for your future endeavors thank you very much for having us it was a real pleasure everything that was said and shared and stuff like that if anyone wants more information definitely an open book and happy to communicate 